Welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast, where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work for social justice. Each week, we bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. That is correct, Damien. And we want Interdependent Study to be a space we're always learning with one another. And Damien, you're up this week. So uh, what are you bringing to the table today for us to discuss? Sometimes you are too much. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I have brought a really incredible book to the table for us today. Mm -hmm. We're finally getting to talk about (laughs) this book. Uh, I was a little delayed, everybody. I'm going to own that. Uh, The book is called Abolishing State Violence, A World Beyond Bombs, Borders, and Cages. And it was written by Ray Aikson, uh, who I'm now just really excited to read more from uh, since this was just such an incredible book. Ray is an organizer, activist, journalist, and writer who, in addition to writing this book, has written several articles and book chapters and reports and another book as well. Um, They have written about and are committed to organizing against things like war, militarism, the criminal punishment system, and state violence. Um, And I think all of that showed up in this book that we read for today. It's not just a clever name. It's not just a clever name. Mm -hmm. It's on the nose. Uh, This book is an analysis of the connections that exist between a lot of issues and systems and structures and really institutions in our society and highlights a ton of the organizing efforts and work that's been done um, and is being done for their abolition. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I definitely learned a lot from this book. Um, it's such an in-depth and comprehensive look at state violence in many of its forms that do so much harm to all of us. So yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this book today. Where, where do you want to start? Ooh, what, yeah. yeah. What did you think? Uh, it's so good. I think it's such a great analysis of how intertwined movements for abolition are. Yes. Right. So the chapters kind of lay it all out there. Um, what are six chapters? Yes. Um, right. Yeah. So Ray talks about police, prisons, surveillance, borders, war, nuclear weapons, and capitalism. And they write about how all of this is connected through white supremacy and patriarchy and settler colonialism. Um, And that's what all of these systems are built upon, police, prisons, surveillance, borders, war, et cetera. Um, And so I mentioned this last week, but there's such good information in here about how much money gets spent on all all of these things. Yes. Both sort of the public numbers that are reported, but also the sort of secret the secret numbers that yeah. are hidden. Um, so for one of the things that comes to mind is like the nuclear weapons budget isn't in defense, right? It's in the Department of Energy. Right. Uh, and so the, there's a little bit of um, a shell game happening there with how you count that money towards militarism. Right. Right. Um and so, you know, a, a big chunk of this money also goes to private corporations that support these systems, you know, the contractors who build these weapons of war, build these things, um, manage prisons, manage surveillance systems, all of that stuff, right? Like we're funneling billions of tax dollars into these private corporations yeah. who are profiting off of this stuff. Um, and one of the things that they write about in particular is is nuclear weapon abolition, which honestly I hadn't thought much about yeah, um, at all. And I feel like it hasn't been, at least in the, you know, as I paid attention to 
movement spaces, that feels like something that was really, really big, I don't know, a, a while back. Yes. And I have not heard as much about it um, recently. And maybe that's just because I haven't heard about much of it from the people who I hear things from. Right. right? Um, but it really helped me think differently about nuclear weapons and how it's tied into all the rest of this stuff. Yeah, I agree. I, the, the nuclear weapon abolition chapter was, was fascinating. It's definitely, I, I agree. It's something I haven't really ever thought deeply about. Right. Um, but I think Ray really offered an incredible analysis and made a really compelling argument in that chapter. And so that's one, that's probably the one chapter. I, I mean, I want to revisit this whole book, but yeah. that's definitely the one chapter that I want to spend some more time with and revisit and, and, and learn more from, because it's just, again, something I haven't really spent a lot of time with, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, I'm also so glad you brought up money. I think there yeah. were multiple times throughout this book where like, I was flabbergasted by the amounts of money we are spending on all of this. Yep. And so I, I pulled so many of these figures. I wanted to share them, right? They're just astounding. So on policing, Ray shared this. Quote, between 1977 and 2017, state and local spending on police increased from $42 billion to $115 billion a year adjusted for inflation. Today, some cities spend 30 to 60% of their entire annual budget on the police forces. Yep. On prisons, Ray said, the official budget for incarceration in the United States today is $81 billion. But that figure only includes the cost of operating prisons, jails, parole, and probation. Overall, a according to a 2017 report by the Prison Policy Initiative, the annual total cost of incarceration is about $182 billion. Mm-hmm. On war, uh, there was this quote. In 2020, U.S. military spending amounted to $778 billion, which accounts for 39% of the global total. The U.S. spends, <laughs> right? Isn't that crazy? But look, get this. The U.S. spends more than the next 10 largest military spenders combined. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't even include the nearly $200 billion earmarked for veterans affairs. Yet the U.S. military spending is on the rise. It spent 5.3% more in 2019 than in 2018 and 4.4% more in 2020 than in 2019. Yep. Um, and it's again, it's wild to me that you brought up the nuclear war abolition, like that chapter. There was so many stats in that. Uh, mm -hmm. Ray shared this about nuclear weapons. In 2019, the U.S. spent $41.4 billion on nuclear weapons, which on its own is larger than the total military spending in all but nine other countries. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I think I want to say this as clearly as I possibly can. Like, we simply do not need to be spending this kind of money on these things. Sure don't. Right? On yep. this kind of violence and these systems um, that are so incredibly destructive. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you look at all those figures, um, you know, the... Um, one of the the stats that uh, I recall off the top of my head yeah. is that I think New York City spends two hundred million a year. Sounds right. Is that right? Yeah. I don't remember. Like, there's an astronomical figure that New York City spends on the NYPD. Yeah. Um, that makes it the thirty fourth largest military in the world, or something like that. Right. I don't. Um, I thought I remembered these things when I started talking about it, uh, but I, I don't remember the numbers. But it's something astounding like that, yeah, right? And, that and, a single city in the United States. Right. 
would potentially match up with uh, countries, countries, uh, hundreds of them be stronger than hundreds of other countries. Yes. Uh, in terms of their ranking uh, order. Uh, that's just, yeah, it's nuts. Um, so yeah, the amount of money we spend on militarism and on policing is um, astronomical. Absolutely. Uh, and so um, one of the things that I noted, in, and we've talked about reformism on the podcast before, oh, yeah. especially in the context of Ruth Wilson Gilmore's analysis of reformist and non-reformist reforms. Yes. Um, but I pulled this quotation from the introduction that I think highlights another way to think about reforms. Okay. Quote, reformism is counterinsurgency. Abolitionist Dylan Rodriguez argues, adjusting isolated aspects of a system's operation to protect that system from total collapse is bad faith incrementalism that rests on the fundamental assumption that these systems must remain intact, even as they consistently produce asymmetrical misery, suffering, premature death, and violent life conditions for certain people and places. Mm. That analysis from Dylan Rodriguez is so sharp. It's yes. so on point. And I love this concept that reformism is counterinsurgency. Yeah, it's fascinating. Because it's really self-preservation self of the system, right? So it's it's chain, changing it to make it more acceptable to more people, right? The system is doing that so that we're reforming little pieces of it to make it a little bit more acceptable or make it at least appear to be more acceptable while not fundamentally fundamentally changing the violence that is inherent and built into the system itself. Not at all. And so this is the system sort of, you know, finding ways to create um, self-preservation for itself, right? Yeah, it's, it's protecting it's itself. protecting itself yeah. um, from people who are like, well, this system isn't serving us anymore. We don't need it anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, r razor sharp analysis. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean this, and, and, and I love the, the scathing words in there, right? The, 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 the very tough, clear words, right? This misery, suffering, premature death, violent mm -hmm. life conditions, right? Like yeah, I highlighted that too. Like it's direct. It's, it is what it is. Right. And that's all these systems are. And, and so I love, the analysis of thinking about you know these systems and 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 the connection to reformism right and yeah. um, that that was brilliant right mm -hmm. and that's a really incredible way for folks I think to get into this and to see it mm -hmm. um, right and to maybe get on board with this so I I love that Ray did such a great job I think in this book articulating and bringing in points from incredible abolitionists, right? And scholars who we admire, right? So mm. Ruth Wilson Gilmore being one of them. So um, I'm glad you brought that. Um, one of the other things that I appreciated the most in the final chapter of this book was actually the work that Ray did to show us the connection between all of these violent systems and structures and institutions and how their abolition is so critical to our collective humanity and, and liberation, yeah. right? And what we all need to do to embrace that, right? Mm -hmm. So I pulled this quote, Ray said this, unlearning the necessity of violence is essential to exploring what could be built in its place. This means turning on its head so much of what we are taught about what's necessary for safety and security in our world. It means learning to reject violence as a solution to all problems, interrogating and challenging systems of power that assert they exist to protect while they instead they persecute and oppress. 
And then later on in that same section, Ray went on to say and 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 partially quotes organizer Robin Oxley in this. Undoing state violence requires undoing the hold these institutions have on our imaginations, on our conceptions of what is normal, what we must live with, what is possible. While police, prisons, borders, and war uphold the world that is, abolition fights for the world that should be. Mm. Like, that is so good, (laughs) right? That is so good. You know, and I think especially this idea of the importance of the unlearning work that we all have to do, we need to do, right? Like, that's why we started this podcast. We believe in that, right? Um, But I think in this book, Ray was able to brilliantly make those connections for us, right? To show us the threads that exist with all of, with and between and among all of these forms of violence, right? Like to me, that's that was so very important and necessary work that I'm glad Ray did in this book for us. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Um, I, yeah, I appreciate, that's one of the really great things I think I appreciate about this is like how they tied all of these things together. Yes. Um, yeah, it's so good. Um, so one of the things that I liked in the, the con- this concept of security came up uh, yes. in the decommissioning nuclear weapons chapter. Mm-hmm. And Ray talks about how governments prop up their choices and spending on the concept of security and needing to keep us all collectively safe yeah. uh, from usually some unnamed risk or threat. And so that they're, they're creating yes. fear in us. Absolutely. Uh, creating, or a threat that's coming, right? You know, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, allegedly, be. like right. we know, we can't tell you how we know, but we know uh, instead of spending spending the astronomical money that that they're spending that you talked about yeah. a few minutes ago um, on the needs of the people, right? So Ray says, quote, these government choices of investing in perpetual war over peace are precisely why the majority of people in the world hold such a diametrically opposed view of security. Security for so many people is about survival. It is about surviving the crumbling scaffolding holding up our world, surviving climate change, pandemic, famine, war, and it is about thriving in a different world, in a different order that is more equitable and fair. They go on to say, quote, security means safe housing, sustainable and healthy food, water, air and energy, equitable distribution of wealth and resources, freedom from violence, fear, hunger, freedom from the threats emanating from certain states, surveillance, incarceration, detainment, deportation, harassment and murder. Security means not living under the constant threat of nuclear annihilation, police brutality, or systemic repression. Mm. And that section, that thought process on security, I think flips so much about how we think about security so often of um, it being protection from some external threat rather than how are we creating the conditions that people then feel secure in their lives right? yes through housing day-to-day lives. through healthcare, through not needing to worry about where their next meal might come from all of those things are security yes and that's not what we spend security money on that's not what we talk about when we talk about security or safety um we talk about sort of all the things that might happen all the things that could happen uh it's not likely to happen, right? But it it might happen, mm-hmm. and so you should prepare, uh, and 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 uh, we have to prepare, and we have to spend our collective tax money on this to make sure that we're prepared for whatever 
scenario might happen. I mean, the the you talk about just another sharp analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Like I love that word that you use, sharp, right? Like the things you talk about here, we have to prepare for these things. The things you mentioned in here, pandemic, yeah. famine, yeah, yeah. war, climate change. I mean, Canada was literally burning and we all still could smell is. that. It's still burning. Yeah. And we could smell that this week. I mean, mm-hmm. like these things are real and happening and there are present conditions, present challenges that people face that we're not spending those billions yeah. of dollars. We're not addressing I, those things. Not that at are all. Real. Yeah. No, not at all. It's mm-hmm. wild. So I, yeah, we should revisit this book because mm-hmm. there's so much in it. There's so much worthwhile analysis. Um, and that I don't even think we really, we didn't scratch the surface. No, um, on it. it's too much. Mm-hmm. It's too good. Uh, but I am going to shift us here and mm-hmm. move us into application. This feels like the time. Yep. Um, let's talk about the ways we can make connections between what we read, what we've talked about, and our daily lives and our work. I I think one of the biggest takeaways from this book for me and the application of so much of its content is just the critical need for abolition. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Ray reminds us at, of this at many points throughout the book. In literally every single chapter, yep. you know, for for me, the key takeaway is that at the core of abolition is this simultaneous need to dismantle violent systems, structures, institutions that are doing us harm. While at the same time, we also need to build new systems and structures and institutions that are committed to serving all of us in equitable and just ways. Right. And and that's something I obviously know, I knew, I believe in. But I think this book was so great because it 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 left me challenged to keep that in mind moving forward as I talk mm-hmm. about and share why abolition is important, right? And is yeah. necessary, right? If if that makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. right. And and this might bleed a little bit into this idea of homework, but I want to make sure that if I'm having a conversation about abolition with someone, a friend, a family member, whoever it might be, right, and talking about why I think it's important, you know, I want to make sure that I'm prepared with abolitionist ideas to share as well, right? I think that's going to be a way to help bring folks forward. It's one idea to name a problem. It's another right thing to, you know, bring a solution to the table as well. So um, this book just, to me, Ray did such a great job in doing that for us right. um, in every single chapter. Not that other folks haven't that we've read, but I don't know. To me, that really just stuck out as, as imperative work mm. <laughs> and necessary work that I want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think finding ways to make those connections for people, I think so um, important, at least to being able to begin the conversation. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, and because it can be an abstract. Oh yeah. You know, it's super abstract. It's abstract, because, right? I mean, as you mentioned <laughs> earlier, radical. there's so much in um, the, the systems taking away our ability to imagine something beyond them. Yes. Uh, and so that's, it, it, that's an important piece of application is, yes. is finding ways to make it feel tangible and less abstract for people. Absolutely. Um, what are you thinking? Yeah. So my application is another, yet another quotation from the book. I love uh, it. Bring this it. time it's from the conclusion. Okay. Uh, so Ray writes, quote, our feelings of hopelessness or despair do not afford us the right to abdicate our individual and collective responsibility to at least try to make the world a better place. Instead, we need to work in solidarity with others that are pursuing the same ends. I think there's so much happening all of the time. Mm. Um, It's hard to keep track of the latest 
uh, fascist move from right-wing governors across the country because there are so many. Yes. Uh, it's hard to creep, keep track of what's going on with, with police budgets across the country. It's hard to keep track of all the violence that's being visited upon people and communities and um, people who are being targeted. There's so much of it. It's, it's hard to do all of this, and it's hard on us. Yes. Uh, it takes a toll. Yes. Um, but we have to do the work we have access to, hmm. right? So our feelings of hopelessness or despair do not afford us the right to abdicate our collective responsibility. Yes. Um, and so we have to do the work that we can do in solidarity with um, a movement with people toward a better world. Uh, and so um, our day-to-day lives are impacted by all, all the things, all the systems <laughs> that Ray writes about in this book. Whether we can recognize it or not, of course. Right? Yes. Um, so you know, for for me, right, whether I recognize that nuclear weapons impact the way that I live my life or not, like they do, uh, and so any kind of work we do to undermine these systems is work for for ourselves individually, but also all of the people in our lives, everyone else who's impacted as well. Can you read that quote one more time? Because I want to get it printed. <laughs> like it's so good. Our feelings of hopelessness or despair do not afford us the right to abdicate our individual and collective responsibility to at least try to make the world a better place. Instead, we need to work in solidarity with others that are pursuing the same ends. A great call to action. I mm-hmm. love it. Very, very good. All right. Well, we started to talk about this. All of this sort of feels like a natural segue to homework, right? And, yep. and good work to be doing. Um, so let's talk about what we want to do when we leave this table today, other than print that out and put it on a bumper sticker or something. <laughs> uh, the first thing I think is related back to my application. You know, I want to make sure that moving forward, whenever I'm talking about abol- abol- abolition, um, whenever I'm talking about why we should defund the police or, or dismantle the criminal punishment system that, you know, I have ideas to share about what our world could look like without them. Yeah. Um, examples of what has been implemented or, or changed in places where abolitionists and organizers have had victories, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one piece of homework for me that I want to you know take seriously and, and do. Um, the other, I mentioned this at the top, I very much so enjoyed this book. I like Ray's writing style. I loved everything about this book. Ray's got another book. I'm going to add it to our list. It's called Banning the Bomb, Smashing the Patriarchy. Uh, which was published, I think, a year before this book came out. Um, and, I mean, just the title alone yeah, <laughs> sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it's already been added to our list. Okay, great. <laughs> um, yeah, so f- for me, one of the pieces of homework that I thought about this week is is about money. So, yeah. um, you know, Ray quotes all kinds of figures mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the book. Um, but there's this report from the Department of Education in 2016, which said, quote, over the past three decades, state and local government expenditures on prisons and jails have increased about three times as fast as spending on elementary and secondary education. Mm-hmm. And that report goes on to say that state and local spending on corrections rose by 89%, while state and local appropriations for higher education remained flat. Yeah. So spending on police and prison seems non-negotiable because we believe they are keeping us safe, that they're providing us with a level of security. But it's a choice that our representatives, that our governments are making. Yes. Um, the long-term ramifications of these choices are, are showing themselves 
actively around us uh, and they'll continue to get worse. Yeah. Um, so my homework, I think, is for each of us to understand the budget decisions our states and local governments are making uh, when it comes to education spending and police and prisons um, and to try to get together with local organizations who are doing that work to change those budgets to um, advocate for that spending to shift. Um, we've talked about some of them on the on the show uh, before. Um, and there are lots of ways to find those organizations just through uh, a simple online search. Yes. Um, and so that's my uh, encouragement um, and homework for this week. Um, you know, my recurring theme for homework lately has been to get into the fight wherever yes. wherever you fit in that fight. Uh, find your find your way into it. I love saying get in where you fit in. Let's yeah. do it. Absolutely. I love that. Very, very good. Um, well, Aaron, you're up next time. Mm -hmm. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? Yeah. So speaking of getting into the fight, yes. <laughs> um, I'm bringing an article from The Forge called What Does It Look Like When We Build Our Power and Fight the Right? Uh, and it's a summary of four organizers uh, in discussion um, about how they have organized in their own spaces to fight against authoritarianism. Um, so there are lessons about progressive organizations working with centrists, uh, preparing for wins to uh, bring blowback uh, and leadership development and movement spaces and some more stuff as well. Um, so it looks like a really fascinating discussion uh, between four folks, uh, one of whom is Maurice Mitchell, who we've we've mentioned and read here before on yes, the show. So. Yes, uh, I as a as a spoiler, I read it today. It's fantastic. It's so very good, I'm, yeah. I'm very much so looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for bringing mm -hmm. it. To the table next time. Of course. Um, all right. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with everyone you know, follow us on the socials, check us out on YouTube, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>